Hello, and welcome to the Rethink Missions podcast, where we learn from the stories and lessons of cross-cultural servants to the unreached people groups of the world. Welcome to today's episode. Here's your host, Jeremy Wardlaw. Welcome to another episode of Rethink Missions podcast. Today's episode, we're sitting down with Ernie Johnson. He's been a part of two different church plants. One, he's seen a church established and actually several uh, more than just a church established, a people group really um, being reached with the gospel. And then the second one, he's just in the beginning stages. But with his experience in southern Africa, we want to learn from his story, first of all, you know, how how is the last, you know, over 10 years of church planting in southern Africa, how's that gone for you? To talk about how working in southeast Africa has been for the last 10 years or so. Uh, I would go back a little bit further and just say that um, it was a process to get to there. And I didn't really even want to be a missionary per se. I always wanted to live in Africa. Uh, When I was a kid, I spent some years here with my parents and fell in love with the continent. And... Uh, when I went back to the States, I went to school and when I graduated from school, I went and studied at a Bible school, planning to get a job probably in technology or something. But during the whole time, people from church and people from the Bible school, everyone uh, was saying to me, we really think God is calling you to be involved in missions. We see that you have a gift for engaging people at a worldview level. I think people call that evangelism, but (laughs) I like to call it engaging people at a worldview level. And um, More interesting that way. uh, And teaching the Bible and things like that. So... Uh, I was pretty reluctant. Sometimes I feel like Jonah, (laughs) the reluctant missionary. Uh, But uh, through the process, I ended up being sent by my church to train uh, at a mission training center. And then from there, uh, move on to study Portuguese in Portugal. And then eventually go down to southern africa so uh during that whole time there's always a sense of i'm being sent Mm. and there's a sense of i'm called but it's it's a mixture of that hesitation is what i feel in my heart really god speaking to me or is it something else Mm. but that confirmation of when the church confirms it and send you, then you can be sure that when you're, as Ian Thomas used to say, when you're sent and went, you're put. Mm. And that uh, has really stabilized my view of staying in Southeast Africa. So the story starts long before, and the training is very important. I don't think I would have ever been able to do anything in the area of uh, missions without the training. Mm-hmm. And everything that I've learned and done ever since then has built on that foundation. So, right. Uh, so it doesn't start in Southeast Africa. It's, no. It starts before you even get there. It starts in the my home church, and then it moves through the home church in the training, and then on to the field. Definitely. Yeah. And then from there, we, um, as a field, we all had to go through a process of uh, man, in the old days we used to call it orientation. So like you're learning about the country you're in, you're learning the language, uh, the trade language of the country, you're learning how the organization works right there, who are the people that you need to know, you're building relationships with them, and also with uh, pastors and churches there. So uh, I probably spent about a year doing that in uh, the city, 
uh, where the offices uh, of the mission are. And that was a really fruitful time also to um, network. I say network. Other people say build relationships with other missionaries, but especially with churches that are there. Hmm. And so um, I actually did a bit of a survey of the churches in the whole city. We just went around and visited a lot of them, finding out uh, where they are theologically, uh, what type of structure they have in terms of leadership and how they do their teaching and worship and things like that. It was really important to me to see uh, that aspect for two reasons. One, because it helps... Uh, to see that, and this is probably most important, uh, it helps to see that there's a constancy in the church across all cultures, uh, but that also there are a lot of differences mm. from one culture to the next in things that actually aren't in the Bible to, that God doesn't tell us how to do it. So each local church decides how they're going to do it, and so you have to learn those differences. So you took the time so, right at the outset to try to expand your view of what church is. Like, right. And and I would say that that is based on also just understanding from God's Word that God's program for the world, uh, we call it the church, Right. But it never occurs in the New Testament without being associated to a local church where you can, I think the expression we could use is brick and mortar. Um, not the building, the building isn't the church, but we say brick and mortar because when you say there's a church, everybody knows that's a church. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, here in African context, in a lot of places, there's no bricks or mortar. If it maybe is a stick or a building or a, a grass building or just a, a hut uh, or maybe they're just meeting under a mango tree. But there's a group of believers who have uh, people who are in leadership who are responsible for directing the worship and um, discipling and teaching. Uh, and everybody can see those factors and say, yes, that's a church. Mm. So, but we call it brick and mortar because it just means like we think of the church so abstractly, especially as Westerners, that we don't, we're always like, oh, that church on the corner of first and main isn't a church. It's the people inside it. Yes, but because they designate that place of worship, it all works together. Mm-hmm. And it's identifiable as a church, right? So, right. Uh, the building obviously isn't the church; it's a church building. But it's the fact that they actually function as a church that they're a church, right? Not just any believer anywhere by himself is a church. Group of believers meeting somewhere, <laughs> right? And yeah. worshiping according to the way God ordained. So, right. So that was right at the outset. You're trying to get. An accurate picture of what's going on already in in the region. Um, so eventually, you move into an area where there is no church, and man, that's starting from scratch in many ways of relearning a lot of other things: how to talk, how to be a, a an adult in that setting. Take me through some of your experiences, because you've been through that twice now, two yeah. other languages after the national languages. So you have some yeah. a wealth of knowledge to pass on to people like me. <laughs> uh, the first time I went, I went uh, out into a village setting. I was, in, I was as a single. I wasn't married yet. And so uh, uh, as I was w- uh, going out there, uh, there were a lot of things I didn't know. I was pretty inexperienced. I had my training, and I had a lot of books, and I had coworkers who had been who had been there for a while already. Um, the work that I went into already had a bunch of the Bible already translated, and uh, they had already done 
Bible teaching. Uh, when I moved in, they were starting the Bible teaching. So by the time I had learned the language, there was a full curriculum of Bible lessons ready. Um, and so even the learning of the language itself, there were already the things about the language you need to know had already been discovered and organized, and so that helped me learn it as well. Mm. A little faster, I would say. Um, and having the training that I'd had before also helped me to learn how to be a good learner in that context because there's no school to teach you the language. There are no trained teachers. So it's not like going and taking French class or Spanish class at school or at university, but you have to discover the language creatively outside of a classroom context. So, but the training really helped with that and having the materials already uh, documented in terms of what needed to be known uh, really helped a lot. And I think it was about two and a half years there in study that I was able to pass my evaluation in terms of speaking proficiency Wow! and be able to begin uh, doing some Bible studies. So that was in about 2000 and right at the end of 2009. So, so there's a community and you no. had a teammate. Beginning of 2010, sorry. 2010. Yeah. So you had a teammate who you were you're working with, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe more than a teammate, but you're working there, and there's a church is being born, sort of as you're learning language, or just before. Yes and no. I mean, there were already um, denominations that were there, and I would say evangelical denominations that we partner with, um, and it was a bit of an. I would say not a normal work for our mission to work with because we tend to go to those places that don't have a gospel witness at all. But the difference was is that there just was not any available materials in the language for the churches to grow and there wasn't maturity or knowledge of God's word. And so uh, from the beginning, that work was also a partnership with churches that were there. Right. And so, but during that process, we also suffered some persecution. Some of the churches that we should have gotten along with the best, the, the um, leadership at a national level was really our friends and supported us and wanted us there. And the local guys were really antagonistic, thinking that we were coming to kick them out and take their place. Okay, so there was some distrust there. Yeah. Just based on misunderstanding? Uh, some of it was, but some of it's also, um, and they'll tell you this themselves, that they hadn't really understood the gospel. Mm. Uh, and so they are responsible for leading the church, teaching the church. They know how to do organized songs and offerings and um, say neat things about the Bible, but they hadn't really understood the basic message of the Bible. And so... Uh, through that process, I mean, there were, there were times that uh, those guys have come back and said things to us that just say, you know, uh, thank you so much <laughs> for coming, uh, which is a complete reversal of what it was when we first went. But partially because they actually didn't understand. Right. Maybe they were meeting in a church building, but even the gospel was clouded right. in their minds. Right. And was it clouded because it wasn't in their mother tongue for, or why yeah. do you think it was clouded? Oh, uh, there's two main reasons it was probably clouded. The first is that it wasn't in their mother tongue. It was always being translated. And most of the words that you try to use to describe your relationship with God and God himself are words from a foreign language. And even most of the church services spent, you read a part of the Bible in another language and try to translate it orally into the language and have some discussion with people. Is that right? Is that not right? And then you're out of time. And So you're kind of trying to translate on the fly. Yeah. And that's, well, we that's know how the first, the yeah. first and probably the main reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second reason is, and I want to say this with, Charity and love. But 
most of the Christian work that had been done in that area, the gospel work had been done in a way that didn't help people to have a clear understanding of the gospel. doesn't mean that the things that were done were wrong, but it meant that there needed to be a follow-up, a, a way that people could have that solid teaching so that they could have a foundation of understanding what the Bible teaches. Mm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like big crusades come through every year. And they show films. They do, they do evangelistic preaching. Uh, um, but then usually that was about it. And having a lack of literacy, a lack of materials, and a lack of theological training for the actual church leaders ends up making a church that's very weak and probably filled with a lot of unbelievers. Mm. So you had like a group sort of doing an outreach week or couple weeks there or something like that and yeah. then move on and maybe yeah. come back. And just to let you know, like I, I, I criticized it pretty strongly there, I think. But, I mean, during the time I was there, I was helping do some of those things too. Like the people would come in and I, I helped one guy with his sound and his video and, uh, helped some guys do some actual live interpretation into the language and things like that. I mean, I think they're valid, uh, for the things that they do. They open a lot of doors, uh, but that deep, clear understanding of the scriptures it needs to. It takes time, and it takes a mother tongue to be communicated. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think you said that in a charitable <laughs> way, but accurate to your experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to a point where you're you're now teaching, or you're doing Bible studies together, right? I mean, that must have been really exciting for you to. Yeah, and I uh, got. Through, we had a group of about 15 believers and it kind of started growing. It was really slow. And then, uh, this is church planting. It's messy. So then some of them get involved in sin and, uh, you're having a baptismal service and like, wow, which ones do we baptize and do we not? And, uh, uh, trying to get the clear teaching on baptism. Because with all the denominations that were there, that there's a lot of baptism, but there's not a lot of clear teaching on what that means. And um, you couple that with uh, good and bad testimonies of believers uh, and what people would say about that. So we saw that process coming. And then eventually that group uh, of 15 or so believers was shrinking down and it went down to about 10 and it got smaller and you know I did some uh, evangelistic Bible studies with neighbors and I got done with one and he said uh, and I said this is the truth that God has for you and you need to understand it he said well I understand it perfectly and I said are you sure and I asked him a few questions he answered them all very clearly I said and now because it's God's word and it's true you need to believe it and he said, uh, oh, I understand it, but I don't want to be crazy like you are and always be quoting the Bible everywhere. <laughs> uh, and basically he was, he's, he, he was saying to me, I don't want to leave my ancestor religion and uh, I don't want to leave my lifestyle, which he had a bit of a promiscuous lifestyle. And I said, hey, you know, for God to forgive you, all of the sin that you've done was placed on Jesus. And he doesn't need you to do specific things. He just needs you to believe it. He said, I know. But I know the minute I believe it, I'm not going to be able to do those things anymore. And I thought to myself, this is tragic. Because first of all, he has very clearly understood the gospel. Mm. Because he knows repentance. God is working in his heart in repentance. And he's refusing it. And it was very sad. He's a very good friend of mine. To this day, I was there this year and visited and saw him, and it was great. But uh, he continues to refuse to 
be a part of the church that's there and to study God's word. So that was the story of kind of how the majority of the evangelism went for us there for a long time. And, um, it was during this time also that I met my wife and we were studying at a workshop on uh, Bible translation. And as time went on, uh, we began to become interested in each other and eventually got married. And we had to make a decision where are we going as a family because she as a single was in one people group and I was a single within another. And we just looked, talked to a lot of people in the mission, uh, looked at the phases where the works were and this, uh, first work that I was in, in terms of the technical work was pretty much done. Uh, and we were seeing the need to trust the, there were really solid believers there to trust and start giving them that training and trust them to carry some of that load of leading the church and, and so forth. And so it was a very hard decision to make. Mm. And I don't think anybody was happy in the sense that it hurts your heart to say goodbye right. to one where you've poured your life into and say goodbye to coworkers who are your family now mm-hmm. uh, and go to another place. But... um because of those strategic things, we just said we need to trust the Lord to see what we see and take a step. And so that's what we did and went to the uh, Maindu people uh, after we came back from our wedding and joined up with uh, our coworkers there. And this is a completely new work that didn't have any uh, language documentation or uh, there was just some survey work that had been done. So, starting from scratch. Starting then. from scratch. So, yeah. you kind of experienced, or you're in the middle of experiencing both worlds. One where you're, call it messy. It's you know there's stuff already there. You're kind of sifting through what is genuine understanding of the gospel, the true gospel. What's misunderstanding? Yeah. And now this context. Yeah, I think actually before we close that chapter, yes, uh, I should say that um, it sounds kind of sad and dismal, <laughs> the picture there. And I think everybody involved in that work suffered from some burnout because you expect I'm going to go through this process and then there's going to be this massively joyous reception and people are going to dance and sing and uh, praise God and this thing is going to become a, uh, something that everybody's going to be amazed at. Well, God needed to humble our hearts. <laughs> but also, um, everything comes in his timing, right? Mm. So over the years, God has brought along one person here and one person there. And each one of those people that has come has been a person who wasn't necessarily right there from that place where we were living but in a group of 100,000 speakers out in the bush farther. Uh, And they have gone back to that area and done Bible studies there and found group of believers there and there and there. We've had several baptisms now, uh, several hundred people baptized. uh, And uh, never are we doing it in the sense of baptizing in, in the sense of we have started a new church but strengthening those churches that are there that are evangelical churches that we can partner with and uh, providing them with helping them do their evangelism and and be a part of what they're doing. Mm. So the gospel so, is spreading out in the people group yes, and with clarity. Yes, and we had the New Testament dedication this year. Wow. And when we took pictures of the room uh, we were in, we figured there must have been at least 300 people there on the inside. And when you count everybody outside, it was well over 500 people. And that would have been 500 believers? Uh, Representing leaders of churches. So So 500 The number of believers, I really don't know. But, yeah. Um, And... uh, Wow. Yeah. 
and to feel like talk about the beginning where you're the evangel or just the outreach is kind of feeling like it's stalling out with understanding, yeah. but just and here you have now once the Bible's yeah. dedicated, what's that? And ten and years later, I don't know if I can say thousands because I talked to the guys there a couple weeks ago, and I didn't get an exact number, but they were saying they're starting to run out of stock on their first edition. So I, I don't know if I can give you exact numbers, but I want to say at least a thousand, but Bibles have been distributed there Amazing. in the churches. So, so that was last year? You that said was that last year. Bibles finished, dedicated, yeah. and in the hands of minimum 500 church leaders. Yeah. Let alone the the other people. Yeah. Wow. So praise praise God, you know. Uh, these are, <laughs> I like to say, these are the people that we had not strategized to reach, that mm. God sent to us. And then as they were going out and reaching their areas, it was expanding. It was, mm. it was not because we were, we had strategized and made that happen. I think it's good to strategize. But it was because God was, we were there where God wanted us to be, and he was using us. Mm. So, And the, the guys that continue to be there and continue to work, uh, I think they're getting close to or over half of the Old Testament translated now. so Trying to finish up the Old Testament. Yeah. Wow. What a story. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the other. <clears throat> now the beginning of the new, the other journey. Right. right. And that journey began, first of all, by going back to uh, the city as a couple with our other family and building partnerships with churches in the city once again. Just surveying the churches, what are the types of churches we can work with in, in terms of what they believe and um, uh, their culture as a church and their desire to work alongside of us and reaching this area, the area that we moved into doesn't have any of their denominational churches in that area either. So they all have interests in that. So we went and spent some time building those relationships with them. And along the way, we keep keep bringing them along with us. We meet with them every two or three months and try to update them on what's happening in the work and ask for prayer and also just keep in their minds the idea that in terms of the actual churches that will be being born in that area, aren't going to be my churches or our churches as a mission. And we certainly aren't going to register them as the church of the mission. But because we partner with these churches, they're going to be branches of those churches. So mm. we're extending the reach of those churches. Mm. We're part of the church, extending the reach of the church. So we spent some time living that vision with the churches and helping them be with us as we go, which made it slower, but it made it, um, I see it being as a strong advantage mm. because we're a part of God's church and that's right. For the visual people. Yes. What you're saying is you're reaching people group A in a village, sort of isolated. Before you get to there, there's a city or a community that you are partnering with the churches in that area, a bigger city maybe? Yeah. And developing those relationships with different pastors, different denominations, and trying to be an extension of them right. to this people group rather than just going there. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not a free-for-all ecumenical endeavor. We're, um, we're trying to work within... A, theological framework, obviously, of uh, Protestant evangelical churches. Right. Uh, so uh, that means something, I think, still. <laughs> hasn't stopped meaning that. So Hypothetically. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So 
I mean, there's a lot of lessons there. You said that takes longer, but you think in the end, you're you're setting yourself, or you're you're really just partnering with what God is doing in that area. Right. Um, We're being a part of the church. That's right. I think that's the right way to say it. Relationships are complicated. Partnerships yeah. as well. So, what were some of the so what were some of the things that you felt this is important? This is a ditch we want to avoid as we're partnering. Well, um, yeah, one extreme is accept anything anybody calls a church as a church, and whatever they say goes. So, not have any convictions and just become ecumenical. That's why I said right. we didn't do it in an ecumenical way. Right. Uh, so that's one ditch that's pretty dangerous, I think. And how are these meetings? You know, you get together two or three times or every two or three months. What are some things that you're talking through that they're getting excited about or that cause tension? What were some of those? What was the content of some of this, some mm. of these meetings? Well, I think that um, a lot of these churches have some practical things in the ministry that are different, even in the same cultural context. So, uh, you know, when do you do you sit in benches or chairs? When do you stand? When do you sit? Uh, do men wear ties or not? You know, all these churches have little differences on all those things, and sometimes that takes the prominence in the discussion mm. and uh you know some churches pass the plate for offerings and others don't uh have anything and others have a box at the front and they call everybody to get up row by row and go down there and uh, be seen putting stuff in the box and so i mean how are you going to do all that stuff to a lot of people, that's their identity. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> that's who they are. And um, so that can cause friction. Um, but helping to see what is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, I mean, you, you got to start with what's the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, I think Paul makes that pretty clear uh, in First Corinthians 15, when he says uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And if this didn't happen, our faith is in vain. So uh, I think that's a pretty clear summary of the gospel. I think that's not the only one. You go to Luke chapter 24, and Jesus says clearly to his disciples, that once again it's according to the scriptures and the truth is very clear according to the scriptures that first of all he must have died and rose again for our sins and secondly that that must be preached to all nations and so uh just getting that clear Mm. clears up a lot of things for churches right right because that puts in focus what the focus of the bible is yeah, and then I think uh, what really built a lot of um, excitement in the churches, all the churches that we showed and explained our uh, teaching curriculum that begins uh, in eternity past. It teaches about God's creation of the world, how sin came into the world, and what God has promised from the beginning about that problem and then what he did throughout history uh, up to the person of Jesus Christ and how that moment in history is seen as the fulfillment of those promises. And then also as time went by afterwards, uh, how the believers at the time kept talking about that as being the fulfillment of everything God had promised. Uh, but also seeing Christ go up into heaven with the promise that he will return, being the same person. Uh, so all that tying the whole Bible together from beginning to end as a story. 
uh, also is very helpful. But not just a story, a story that has truth about God and about man and the world around us uh, that confronts worldview mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everybody that we showed that to became excited about it and it's spread all over the place in the national language. And um, yeah, as soon as we get it into the local language, they'll also be more than happy to begin using it as well. Mm-hmm. So so they're really excited about that, even the curriculum or, or the way that you're going to be teaching um, and they're going to try to use that themselves in yeah. their own churches. Yeah, and even just neat chances to teach or speak or be involved in the churches, doing Bible studies, uh, using that same curriculum so people are seeing it. Kind of have their... Yeah. So you're sort of, you're sharing, but you're also training at the same time by by teaching in a way that they can then maybe teach the same way as they... Maybe assist you as you reach reach yeah. into the new people group, new language. I see that what my goal is to assist the local church mm. uh, in evangelizing unreached people groups, translating the scriptures, and establishing churches. So I don't see them as assisting me. <laughs> <laughs> You're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's more me assisting them. That's but. a good perspective. Yeah. But uh, in the sense that um, the church is the core. Right. And I'm just a part of it. Yep. Not in the sense that I'm helping because I'm better. No, I'm not better. I'm I'm just under the church as a part of it. I get it. <clears throat> yes. I stand corrected. <laughs> um, so, so, okay, so you did some of that leg, call it leg work before entering into village setting. So now you're in a village learning the your third language as well as your your teammates are in the same thing. Um, what were what was different maybe about this second time through? What was the same about the process? Oh, it was quite a bit different. We didn't know exactly where we needed to live, like where were we going to build our houses, uh, what we were going to do. So, like, that was quite a bit different. We had to discover that. So we were going and doing uh, surveys on language data, which what are the differences between different dialects of the language and where's the central dialect that affects all the others around it and meeting with, the local uh, leaders uh, of the different, because uh, we say a village context, but it's a it's a quite a large area with a large population, about forty five thousand people, and so uh, you might have a group of five hundred people in one spot and eight hundred in another, so they're all kind of little villages. So going around and meeting the different leaders there and discussing with them where's the best place if if this is the kind of work that they would be open to receiving and uh, that they would want and then it was kind of amazing in the middle of those trips all of a sudden uh, we met these guys and they said uh, because you came today and you came on foot and you came and greeted us and we saw you and you greeted us respectfully as if you were Africans. We want you to have a meeting and invite you to come to our village. And so they called all the leaders of the whole area and sat down with the government officials and we did a formal invitation for us to move in. But we still didn't have a house, so we moved in and rented a room in a guy's house in town and spent about six months there learning language and getting materials ready to build the house at the same time. It's pretty stressful. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think I don't think there's any way to do it that's not stressful. Right. It's, uh, when you go a, across a language and culture barrier, you have nothing to do but be humiliated. So... And there's no, there's 
different versions of humiliated, but that's what it's going to be. You're yeah. going to be humiliated. Yeah. So you're going to go from knowing, like I knew this other language that was related uh, in a larger family as a, as a whole. So people thought, oh, he must know. But now looking back, I think there was probably 90% of what I thought I understood I was not understanding. So <laughs> I you know. Mean, you even knew a related language. I knew I was making a fool of myself. Yeah. You know, trying to say things and getting it wrong. So, and that's just kind of how it is. And you are trying to organize your life and and do that at the same time. But it's part of reaching those areas Mm. that are hard to reach yeah yeah so you're we haven't started teaching yet no so that you're we're at the front end of that part and um but we're here god has been so faithful to bring you to this spot which is amazing Mm -hmm. not just i'm talking you in the plural sense yeah including the, the the church that's close by that wants to assist or that you're assisting. Um, what are some, you know, lessons learned, you know, before before you forget them in all the stress? Yeah. Pass on some lessons to people like me, you know, or people that are out there in the trenches. They're they're trying to get to the that spot where they're now ready to teach. The spot where you're at. What are some lessons you've learned from the Lord? I think, uh, first of all, how much we need to rely on God in our personal walk with Him if we're not reading His Word and fellowshipping as a team, as a family. Uh, we're going to have difficulties in our relationships. We're going to have, it's a lot of stress factors. And so if you don't have that core relationship with God going on, uh, it's going to be awful hard. Mm. But even then, everything uh, in terms of your relationships as a team, if you don't fight for them to be friendships because of the stress, it's going to be... Because people have this idea, you're going to go on a team and it's just going to be hunky-dory, and I don't even know if that's a word or what it means. Uh, It's going to be easy, and everything's going to be okay. Uh, But you're in an intense environment where uh, language and culture is so radically different. You are the person who stands out as like a sore thumb everywhere you go, and people are talking about you behind your back and in front of your eyes. And then you have the dynamics of uh, health and climate and stress and food all being different and it just wears you out and if you don't fight for your relationships they're going to be taxed mm-hmm. and so um, I think every team goes through these things but I mean we had a, our own difficulties as a team and certain times disagreements over things that are important um but if you make the disagreement about who's going to win then it's going to destroy your relationships with each other Mm. and i think your relationship with god is just is damaged because of that as well Mm. so uh you just really got to fight for that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace Mm. uh by intentionally making time to meet together, to pray together, to do things that aren't work, <laughs> right. that help relax, but also to meet together to do work and to try and do those things where you're always building a context where you can have those hard discussions and still come out as co-workers and friends trusting each other trusting still. each other and that means you're you're seeing yourself as a team unconditionally it's kind of like marriage no matter what happens i'm here we're not we're not quitting we're not leaving uh 
And so just get used to being around each other and accepting that that other person is going to be there. And, uh, and also realizing that it's not about having a team isn't about what you're going to contribute to that team or what you're going to get out of it. It's about what you're willing to give up to be on that team. That's mm. what's going to make the team work. Okay. Uh, what each person contributes and how the team reaches its goal is really important to a team. Yes. But it's only going to be able to do that if people are willing to give up. Mm. And, and that's, I think probably the biggest lesson I've learned. Mm. Uh, in both of the teams I've been on. What sorts of things did you feel like God asked you, hey, Arnie, can you give this up for the team? What were some of those? Oh, man, just uh, every little thing. Like I was picking on some churches for doing offerings different ways or whatever, but like uh, when you're building your house in the bush and you have to make a decision, should I make a right-hand swing door or left-hand swing door? You can fight over that stuff if you don't watch out. You can, uh, how big are your windows going to be? Are you going to put them, how high off the ground? Um, because you're just, you're, you're doing everything together. Right. You need each other. And right. so you're, there's countless decisions that you could. Exactly. Let aggravate. Right. Yeah. And, and that all those little things can, can get in the way and then it gets down to real really important decisions that have to be made like um what are we going to call this thing in the language how are we going to write the alphabet Huge. on this word and on that word right and i mean you need to be able to write that word to be able to translate so you have to make that decision how are we going to make that decision? It has to be in a context of love and in a relationship where people are willing to give up in order to move forward. And if you haven't been giving up on your the size of your window and the door, and then there's going to be that much more aggravation on a big decision. Yeah. 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 Totally see that. I'll probably be the most annoying teammate to someone out there. <laughs> Sorry to whoever that is. <laughs> uh, I, think, I guess we're all annoying in some ways. I think ways. there's a verse actually about that. Um, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, this is a worthy saying. I don't, I, I don't remember how it's said in the... Um, I memorized this in the old, old Bibles. But... Uh, this is a worthy saying. And worthy Don't of, be annoying. Right. Of all, and worthy of all acceptance. So in other words, it means this is a true saying that everyone should believe. And it says, God gave, uh, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Mm. So in other words, everybody should believe that they're the biggest sinner. So you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I said annoying, so am I, like, that's mitigating, really, what, how bad it is. I think another lesson I've learned is just how important and big the task is, that the hard work that we're doing. Hmm. So, um, people ask me, why are you taking so much time? Because you can do uh, a lot of gospel work in ways that show results faster especially, but also in ways that don't require so much technical work, uh, specifically don't take as much time. And techn by technical, I mean, a lot of it is language study and right. worldview study that is We're mapping complex. discourse so that we can accurately um, help people understand when we write our lessons when we do our translation they can understand the verses because when we say um, Christ died according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures in the language in a way that people can understand that clearly 
and it's not ambiguous because I've done a bad job of learning the language. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that takes some time to know how to connect each of those clauses in a way that makes sense and unites it under the heading of this is the gospel according to the scriptures. So it all has to be connected together. And each language uh, has ways that you have to clarify that, and you only discover it by doing uh, analysis on how those connections are made. So that's that's one of the things we're doing right now, and it's it's hard work. And you just say, wow, I don't think I'm cut out for this, but nobody else is there uh, to do it. And so we get help from as many people as we can and try to as hard as we can to learn it. And another thing we're doing right now is we're mapping culture worldviews so that we can organize our Bible lessons in a way that's strategic so that every time we're talking about something from the Bible, let's say we're in Genesis chapter 12 and we're reading God's promises to Abraham, uh, right then we know exactly in that lesson what are the truths about God that the Bible is teaching and what are the truths about God that the worldview is confused about that's our, that are right there in that passage hmm. so that we can be clear in showing who God is and also clear in saying to the the worldview of the people, uh, not not being mean, <laughs> but being truthful and saying, uh, this is not what God's Word says. This is what God's Word said. And so uh, at that point, people began to get, began to get a little more clear picture mm-hmm. of accepting God's Word and rejecting an aspect of their worldview. Yeah. And so, I mean, th- that doesn't happen overnight necessarily because we're, we're progressing through the Bible and we want to address, make sure that as we go through the Bible, we address all of the issues in the worldview that need to be addressed. And not all of them can be in every lesson. And so you have to do that strategically. And the most prominent ones, the things that are tying to the gospel, we need to strategically put in it, the lessons in every place that it's in the text of the Bible so that it's being reinforced over and over again. Mm. So that's also a very tedious process of putting spreadsheets on the wall and drawing lines and, and X's and O's and right. Uh, it takes time, but it's, it's doing the hard work for the maturity of the church. And you said some people are sort of asking you, why are you taking all this time? And right. Uh, yeah. So what were you going to say about that? Um, I would say, a few things. First of all, I think people have a misconception that all this time that I'm working like this, I'm not being a Christian and I'm not talking about the Bible and I'm not talking about my faith. And I think that's not true because I do it every day. I pray that God would give me wisdom to know how to engage people's worldviews and to bring the scripture to bear on them in a way that drives them to understand that their relationship with God is broken and that it needs to get fixed and that they're going to find out about it in God's word, in the person of Christ. So I don't necessarily give all the information every day to somebody, but I'm always praying for where are those little spots I can touch and throw out a little bit of seed here and there in my personal relationships and I think that's really important because if you all believe that to be true, that that the gospel is important, it's the most important thing about who you are, and you go to tell people that, but you spend time studying their language for I don't know how long, however long it takes, <laughs> everybody's different, and you never mention it, and then all of a sudden one day you show up and say, now this is a, an important message. Like, whoa, that hit me out of left field. I didn't know, didn't see that one coming. Then we haven't had a life that's consistent with the mm-hmm. message that we're preaching. And also I've seen over and over again with people of other majority religions that are around who 
see that confirmation. I talk about being someone who works with God's word and they hear me talk about God's word. That builds interest in that on their part and also respect. They say, yes, this is a person of integrity that is what he says he is. All these years. Right. I'm not a perfect person and I would certainly thank God for his grace. I think that we need to be clear on, it's not like we're 007 Christians, you know, like secret agent Christians. Right. No, you've been a little body of believers there the whole time. Yes. And not operating in the mother tongue yet. And and it's not just lifestyle evangelism. We're actually talking to people and Mm -hmm. engaging them. We just don't have that curriculum and Bible translation ready yet to give them the full package. Right. Totally worth it. All that work. Yeah. And um, the goal is also the end goal is I believe there are believers there where we are now. And some of them have come from the outside. Like those churches where we were now Mm -hmm. have people who have jobs in our area who are coming in. And I'm in conversation with them about, well, if you're living there, why aren't we meeting together as a church? And let's let's move forward on some of these things and so uh you know it's it it all works together it's not one thing against another but Mm -hmm. also we're thinking about that in terms of the faster the church is born and grown the shorter its life will be so i mean the classic example we talk about a christian walk is a dandelion and an oak tree uh dandelion grows really fast and then it's gone. An oak tree grows really slow, but it'll last a very long time. And that's our goal, is to have a church that's going to last through this generation, through the next generation, through the generation after that. Mm. And to do that, they need to have uh, an enduring presence of the church in their community. And that's only going to happen with all this work that we're doing. Yeah. Is there any other final lessons? I think of lessons maybe even for the believer or missions-minded person back in North America or in their home country, and they're trying to they're listening to this, thinking, "Well, what can I apply from this?" I'm not in the middle of Arnie's piece of the the world, so what mm-hmm. what can I apply from this? What would your words be to them? God's call for the church to make disciples of every nation of all ethnicities is for the church and so maybe he didn't call you to live in the village where i live but he called you to be involved in the work of going to the villages and doing this work there are many ways that that can be done and uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not disparaging other strategies and stuff because I see a validity in taking those short-term mission trips, doing those evangelism outreaches. Uh, they have open doors in places where that were closed so people like us can come in. So that's really important, the person being open and willing to do that. Hmm. Knowing that some aspects of the technical side of the missions work that we're doing may not be for everybody or the places where we're living may not be for everybody. But God has called you to leave Egypt and go follow him. So that doesn't mean leave your home church and just start wandering around. That means stop thinking about your American dream and stop thinking about your nest egg in retirement and start thinking about how does God want to use me to reach unreached people groups? Is it praying for unreached people groups? It's dangerous because whenever you do, God begins to call you to go. But you should do it. Is it giving to missions work that's being done? Is it going Going through that process of praying and giving and going through the local church where you are is a part of being a part of God's church. Mm. 
And that is probably what I would say to the American Christians that I know. Mm. And Canadian. <laughs> North American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we actually have listeners from all over. My wife is Brazilian. So everyone says, oh, he's American and she's Brazilian. I say, no, we're all Americans. There's North America, South America, we're all Americans. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, why, why, why do you guys get to hog the Americas? That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been awesome for me to hear your story, and I'm sure it'll be great for others out there. Um, for those of you out there listening, we're thinking of you and praying for you wherever you're at. We know that God has a role for you, whether that is going or being a witness right in your community and being that enduring witness in your community, I mean, it's going to take endurance in this world mm -hmm. to be a believer and be a light. So do that. And to those who are going to go, we're praying for you because it is, it is the most important job in the world. And our enemy knows it. And uh, we're thinking of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Rethink Missions podcast. For more information and episodes, go to wmissions.com. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review and subscribe.